Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from the great state of Maryland, Joe Dugan, I got to say this. Joe, first of all, thanks for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Well, you're quite welcome, Jay. The purpose is of transparency. I, I love when politicians say that. Some would say it. For transparency reasons, I know Joe. I worked with Joe in the Baltimore Police Department a long, long time ago. Uh, we were never on the same shift, but we did overlap, especially when I was in operations and worked in the district narcotics unit, which I believe you did as well, too. I did. I did for about four years. This is a long time ago, back when we both had a lot of color in our hair and were a lot slimmer. A lot slimmer. <laughs> you know, here's something that I take exception to. They talk about, and you, maybe you can add into this, because uh, you retired from Baltimore City Police Department, you retired from Hartford County Sheriff's Department, and, and now you are an investigator for state of Maryland for the Internet Crimes Against Children, ICAC, which we'll talk about later on the show. But one of the things I get quite often, people always tell me, they're like, it's so dangerous now to be a cop. And I and I say, yeah, it is. But it wasn't a walk in a park back in the 80s and 90s. As a matter of fact, we lost more guys, guys, I mean, men and women, killed, injured. Uh, we had everything we have nowadays, but we had back then as well. Well, if you remember when you first came on, the old timers came up to you. This police department's not what it used to be. Well, I mean, and we're telling the young guys that now. Well, the yeah. police department's not what it used to be. And when they get to be old timers, they'll say the same thing. This police department's not what it used to be. I mean, we're police. We hate change. Oh, yeah. um, but it, it's still a great career. It was a great career. I had an awesome time. I actually loved being a police in Baltimore. And we worked in the same yes. district, which is Northwest District. And the way it works, folks, a lot of people don't realize yeah, I graduated from the academy and they told me where to go. And they sent you to usually the busiest places because that's where people got burned out and wanted to leave. And I didn't have a choice in the matter. So we went, we were told, and I fell in love with working in that part of Baltimore. Well, that's it. You know, the lower Park Heights area, just below Pimlico Road, 
is where I was sent to. I spent good grief fourteen years in that area before I left and uh, you know went to homicide. Oh, you were a homicide guy as well. I didn't know that. Yes, I was in uh, homicide from uh, let's see, ninety five to two thousand one. Then I went to the Hyda Task Force for a while. Wow, and that could be an episode for a, a show. Uh, entirely investigating homicides and that's something i blame hollywood for between television and movies the the homicide detectives really people don't have a comprehension of what's going on and what how difficult their jobs are before i forget because i know what it's like working there i I know what policing's like i want to thank you for your service uh, both in baltimore city uh, also harford county sheriff's department and what you're doing now is very much appreciated well, thank you, Jay, and uh, thank you for your service. Uh, probably even learned a little bit from you. You would no. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's going back in the day. Yeah, we could sit there and trade war stories uh, all day long. I'm sure. When I graduated from the academy, and I went, I thought I knew what I was doing. And when I went to Baltimore, I mean uh, to Northwest District, I remember driving to the area, thinking, "Oh my goodness." What did I sign up for? And then uh, we rode around with another guy for a couple days. Then they gave you, this is back before we had sat-nav and all that stuff. They gave us a a carbon copy of a map, a set of keys in your battery for your radio, and told you what your post was. I never made it to my first call for service. I never could find the place. Someone else handled it. It was a a baptism by fire, so to speak. But we we worked in a very violent area, but... And even though there was a lot of crime, the vast majority of criminals even weren't bad guys. We didn't have hostility all the time. How would you describe the current situation with policing as compared to back then? Oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, back when you and I were working the street, we developed friendships with the, you know, quote unquote criminals on the street. And, you know, I remember sitting down on the porch and playing chess with these guys. Then eventually they'd say, Dugan, you got to go. You're hurting business. Yes. You know, we, we had that sort of relationship with them. You know, I, I, that's totally gone anymore. I mean, there may be a few guys down that still have that relationship. But, you know, the, the people in the street trusted you not to hurt them. You know, if, if they knew if they had did something and you caught them, it was straight up and never really had a problem. But uh, it, just so much has changed now. And I don't know, the term I hear all the time is community policing. And I remember being a rookie policeman and being given a post by my then sergeant. And he said, if, if I pull up to your post and I see someone, and I point him out to you and you don't know who he is or where he lives or his parents are, if he's a good guy or bad guy, I'm giving the post to someone else. And that's what, when we didn't have calls, which wasn't often, you were on your post and you were visible and people talked to you. Everything they call community policing nowadays is what we called regular policing back then. Exactly. And I don't know what that's exactly the way I describe it. We usually just call it police work. That's what it was. Community policing. And I don't know if it's a a question of manpower, manpower deployment, uh, funds, whatever it was, but things seem to have changed radically in a lot of major American cities. Baltimore is a bellwether for that, where I heard they got rid of post and went with zones for a while. And people didn't know you had the same three officers working in your post all the time. They got to know you by your last name. They gave you a nickname. Uh, That was all very common. And when you were off... 
it was one or two regular people that worked the post, so you got to know them. I don't know when it's changed. Was it like the mid-90s, late-90s? Exactly. It was somewhere around the mid-90s. Um, there was a whole, I, I, I'll say, a generation of police officers that came out. I remember just before I left the drug unit that the people on the street were starting to call the uniformed officers harnesses because they never got out of the car. So I would say somewhere around that era. I, and I, was, I retired in 92. I got hurt and retired and was uh, over with before I knew it. I recall so many things that the old timers taught me. And I'm sure you're going to recognize a lot of these. One was when we were driving a patrol car, I was taught always keep the window halfway down so you could hear yes. people screaming for help or sound of a gunshot. You might save someone else's life or might save your life. And when people came in to talk to you, it was easy. We didn't have electric windows. We cranked them down. <laughs> yep. And people would talk to you. It wasn't always friendly, but it wasn't. It didn't seem to have the hostility that it has today. Is some of that because there is more hostility, or is it because we see more of it, especially with social media and video? Oh, my goodness. I mean, if I could answer that question, I could uh, be the next uh, commissioner of uh, Baltimore. I don't think um, that would ever happen. How about we do this? We're going to take a short break. We are talking with Joe Dugan. Joe is retired Baltimore City Police, uh, long career there, also retired Hartford County Sheriff's Department. And now he's an investigator for the state of Maryland in a crimes against children task force. We're going to be talking about that and so much more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We all know that law enforcement, first responders, and military have dangerous jobs. They see and experience traumas that most can't even imagine. And all too often, that takes a toll leading to substance abuse, PTSD, and co-occurring mental health disorders. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to helping protect those who protect. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. 9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Back to our conversation with Joe Dugan. Joe is retired Baltimore City Police officer, also retired Hartford County Sheriff's Department and investigator with the state of Maryland Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, also known as ICAC. And for transparency reasons, I do know Joe. We work together. Uh, we work in the same shift. We work in the same district. We're oftentimes uh, overlapped. Always had a great reputation. It was what we called back then good police. And we have certain vernacular and terms. We had good police and real police. They're very similar. And then you had squirrels, you had trappers, and you had goofs. 
And by the way, a trapper was someone who got all the free stuff all the time. Yep. Uh, Joe was a good police and a real police. Uh, and that's the highest compliment we had for each other. When we'd introduce each other to someone like out of the club, say, who's this? Oh, that's so-and-so. He, he's good police. He's real police. Yep, exactly. If they didn't say that, if they said, I work for the police department, they either thought you were a squirrel, a goof, or a trapper. You could be a trapper and a good police at the same time, by the way. There were some out there that were very, very good. One of the great memories I have is, and this, I guess, is the counter and negative I hear quite often. People would say that the police are being viewed as an opposing or an occupying force in that community. And that was never how I felt. It doesn't mean everybody loved us or loved what we did, but there was a respect and understanding that we were there to do our best to help until someone crossed the line and made it personal and tried to attack one of us. Then it was a different story. Has that attitude changed or do you think that it is a lot of hostility all the time? I, I think the, the word you hit on there, respect, to me, I think is the biggest part of it. If you know, the people don't respect you, they're not going to trust you, they're not going to want to talk to you, but it, it, respect is something you have to earn. And when people see you out there on a daily basis, you treat them fairly. You're not there just to be a bully or to, you know, not always law enforcement. I mean, you know, we would get the calls, you know, because, hey, somebody's basement was flooding. Yeah, we, we got well, those. We showed up. Well, a lot of guys now, I talk to them, I mean, you know, and they say, well, I'm, that's not my job. You need to call a plumber. Well, if we knew how to turn off the water, we would walk downstairs and turn off the water. You don't get your feet wet. You know, and people respected that. I, I think we've lost a lot of that. I don't think that came from the bottom up. And usually it's the patrolmen, the, the officers on the street that get the bad rap. When things change, it doesn't come from the bottom up. It comes from the top down. I, I absolutely agree. And there's an old saying, one, in a, a fish rots, it rots from the head down. And I don't mean just the police commissioner or police chief or sheriff or whatever term people want to use. In, in a city environment, you have the mayor. The mayor is elected by the people. The mayor appoints their police commissioner, who in turn appoints their leaders and command staff and the orders come from on high and work their way down. Yes. And we didn't like a lot of what we're told to do, but that was just the way it was. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, again, to be honest with it, you know, even back, you know, when you and I were there, we're told, hey, you guys need to go out and do this. We would think it's wrong, but we would go out. I mean, not legally wrong or illegal, but no, that's not the way to do it. But we would go out and do it because our sergeant told us, hey, you guys need to go take care of this. Yeah. And usually because the sergeant got some heat from the lieutenant who got it from the major who got it from City Hall. But then, you know, if things went wrong on the street, your sergeant usually had your back. The lieutenant had the sergeant's back. I think somewhere in there, there become a disconnect. And not going into the conversation, we could have a conversation all day long about the violence and, and the, yes. the killings and all the things that we saw. And that was a part of the job. But you mentioned a lot of what we did was social work, information. I remember having a little book in the back with uh, back pocket. We'd have numbers. This is who you call for this. This is who you call for that department. 
abandoned vehicles, having to get them stickered and towed off your post. All those yeah. things uh, that we have. have my, it's called a Centrex book. I still have it. So a lot of what we did really wasn't enforcing the law. And uh, a lot of it was trying to be a social worker, uh, a counselor, um, handling family yeah. disputes, things of that nature. Quality of life. It was uh, that's what we did. And i be honest with you, I loved it. And when my career ended, I was... I was pretty devastated because I really wasn't ready for it to be over. You did how many years there, 20? I did 25 in Baltimore City and uh, about 12 up in Harford County, which how, gave me 37 altogether. And I, I was ready to go. How was the change for you? The, a lot of people, myself included, uh, viewed the city police as real police and very busy and really had no concept of what the county people did. Um. For the most part, you know, uh, a lot of guys from Baltimore City came up to Harford County. And, you know, we were all accepted in because all the guys were hard workers. I mean, you've got guys that already have 20, 25 years experience. Again, you get the one guy that comes up here and says, okay, well, we did it this way in Baltimore City. Obviously, you know, the local police are not going to like that. You know, and, and you can't, because it's different policing up here. You know, well, when I say up here, I live in Harford County, so... So it's different policing in Harford County than it was in Baltimore City. You have a different, I don't want to say a different class of people, but, you know, I worked northern Harford County, which is all rural, which, you know, there are no city blocks to chase people down. You know, a lot of my job might have just been blocking traffic so the cows can cross the road. So going from, you know, city police, you know, maybe chasing or trying to keep drug dealers off the corner to coming to a rural police and keeping cows out of the road, you know, that's a big change. Huge change. Um, I eventually, you know, moved in because I'm an investigator by, by heart or by trade. Um, so I was only on the street for a couple of years, and then I went to the uh, a child advocacy center investigating child crimes. That's what led me into the ICAC. So you did, and I'm a flashback, you are a patrolman. And I, by the way, I love patrol. I worked narcotics yeah, for quite a while. The, it was the best time. I, I loved it because you handled everything. And you were, yeah. Johnny, in a spot, you were first one on every call. Then you went to narcotics investigation. Then you went to homicide. And then you did uh, HUD task force, retired, and then went to county in a more rural area. And after yeah. a few years on the street, wound up doing investigations. Uh, your first love, your true love, was it patrol or was it investigations yes. or both? Yes. So your okay, your first love really was was patrol, and uh, then you became specialized in, in investigations. And is that where your passion is now? Uh, yes. I mean, uh, after about six or seven years of investigating child crimes, I mean, it you have a true victim. I mean, you have, you know, lots of times on the street, you have, especially where we worked, you'd have somebody from the county coming in to buy drugs, they get robbed, and you have a victim, but, you know, somebody who has a, a hand in their victimization. Right. Or well, they're when I have a five-year-old call? child that's been abused, I mean, that child has no part in their victimization. So I, I really had a heart for the children. We're going to take a short break yeah. on that note. We are talking with Joe Dugan. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. When you have a chance... Check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Don't go anywhere. 
We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. conversation with Joe Dugan on the Law Enforcement Today show. Joe, I worked with in the Baltimore Police Department, and then he, after a career there, retired, went to Hartford County Sheriff's Department, and now he is an investigator for Maryland State Police, the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. One of the hardest things on me emotionally in police work, you were talking before the break about victims of crime, uh, and they all took a toll. They, they all had the little ding they put in your armor. But many of them were what you call at-risk lifestyle or participants in a drug game or whatever it might be. And then we start talking about the children and that they truly are innocent victims. I got to tell you, Joe, I found that to be the hardest thing for me to deal with, especially when children were victimized by their parents or, or exactly. a relative. And I, to this day, like I try to talk to my wife, she'll ask me every now and then, about things and she'll say it was the toughest part and i can't really talk about what it's like to have a five-year-old that has had cigarettes put out on him because he cried too much or whatever other insane reasoning there was this is what you do now you work on crimes specifically involving children yes again you know like for the first six or seven years that I was in the Child Advocacy Center. Um, again, investigated all sorts of child crimes, anywhere from a neglect to uh, a physical, a sexual abuse, and the internet crimes against children, which you know led me into the career I'm in now. But you know, it does take its toll on you when just about every day you come in, there's a new child that's in distress, and that's all you see is, you know, and you want to help them, but you know, uh, you know, arresting their perpetrator you know, might give them some closure, but they still got years of therapy in, in some cases. I remember having a, a very young child that I'd take to uh, an emergency room. It was physically abused by a parent, and I, I believe it was a cigarette case. And there's a photo of me that the crime lab took from many, many years ago, and I've only seen it a couple times. And this young boy would not get off my lap. He, after a while, we bonded, and I guess he felt safe with me at that point, knowing that I, I was not going to let anything bad happen to him. But knowing full well, I couldn't solve what was in store for this guy. Yes. I mean, and, and those are the cases that stick with you the most. I've got, you know, all of the homicide cases invested, all of the drug cases I've investigated, but the ones that will stick with me the rest of my life are the child cases I've investigated. How do you go about and do your job, which needs to be done? And by the way, my hat's off to you. It takes a special breed of person, a special cat to be able to do this. 
how do you guard against the, the the damage to your psyche from doing this all the time? Oh golly, um, uh, you, you, you you've got to have some you know some type of a faith, you know something you can fall back on, you know whatever that may be for you. You know, you've got to have some hobbies. You've got to have the separation. Like, towards the end of my career in the CAC, I had reached the point to where I was just not sleeping at night, and you know I had to get out of. It. That's part of what pushed me to retiring. And then the job with the ICAC opened up, which allows me to go out and still work with children, but you know teaching them internet safety. So that you know to me is like a a therapy every day I go to work. The funny thing is, for those who don't know, Joe was one of these guys that was always seemed unflappable and laid back at work. And uh, I mean that as the utmost compliment. I viewed myself to be more of a a real firecracker um, and more emotional than than Joe was. And that was not a negative by saying that either, because we're both very aggressive, proactive police actually fighting crime but when i hear you talk about these things and having problems sleeping that goes contrary to the guy i knew in baltimore back in the day well i say that stuff never kept me awake at night but when you have a child that hey it's my job to get them out of harm's way if i make a mistake especially on the icac investigations if i make a mistake and this perpetrator is allowed to stay in the home you know, I've now got a child that is going to continue to be abused. So, man, that really does wear on you. And that's another thing that people think that we don't take seriously, case preparation. Yeah. That was, no one wanted to be the reason why someone who's guilty of a horrible crime got let off. Nobody. These things we hear all the time on television about the guy got beat up when you say he fell down the stairs. No, that doesn't happen because doesn't no happen. one, no one wants to give up their financial security for a bad guy, number one. Number two, you don't want to be the cause of that guy losing a case in court and being set exactly. free. No one wants to be that guy. And um, uh, I, I can say you weren't that guy. I wasn't that guy. And I don't know of anybody that was that guy. Internet crimes against children. We're going to get away from the rough and tumble of, of street policing. Back when I was a kid, I, I think back, there was an old man, I'm not going to say his name, we'll call him Old Man Jimmy, and we used to walk by his house every day to and from school, and I went to a, a parochial school, and the girls wore skirts, and one of the things Old Man Jimmy would do was give them a nickel if they would do cartwheels in his skirts, and I didn't know what I know now. I, I, I didn't realize what kind of guy this Uncle Jimmy was. In comparison to what I hear, especially what I hear happening via the internet, guys like him were relatively harmless. That there's a whole lot more threats out there nowadays for everybody's kid. Well, the thing was back in you know mine and yours days when we were little, you know, we would go to the playground, you know, because that's where the kids congregated. So that's where like guys like you know Jimmy would hang out because that's where their prey was. You know, that's where the predators had to go. Well, now with the, you know, the internet, the predators don't have to leave their home to find children because now the children are gathering on the internet, whether it be in the social media apps or gaming systems or whatever. 
So, you know, and that's my whole job now is just to explain to the children. Back in our day, we would, our parents would tell us, hey, don't get in the white van with a creepy old guy looking for his puppies. Right. You know, they made us a little safer, made us a little smarter. You know, everything worked out great. Well, now I've got to give that message to the kids. You're talking to somebody online and they seem to be your soulmate. You know, everything you like, they like, you know, and just they have that positive answer for everything or every problem you have. Well, this is probably a predator. You know, you're not going to meet your soulmate online like that. No, not uh, look. You and I both know that as as guys who've lived the full life. I'll just put it that way. That the soulmate doesn't come along that often, and you're not going to meet him while you're playing uh, one of these war games on the internet. Room. Right. It's not going to happen. These are people. Be honest with you. I get it from my police experience. I get it. I understand it. But it still seems foreign to me is these guys are highly skilled and they practice at yes. grooming their their prey. Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, they they I, I explain to the kids when I go into the schools and everything. The way they find you is you're on these gaming systems all night long. So if they find you on a gaming system three o'clock in the morning, they know you're unsupervised. You know, if they can happen to find you in a gaming system one o'clock in the afternoon when you should be in school, they know, okay, here I've got somebody unsupervised and probably home alone. So those are the people they target. Or if they're just talking to somebody on social media and this child's telling them about all the problems they have at home. Okay, now I've got another victim. And these guys always will have 20, 30 kids on the hook at any given time. This is a a frightening conversation, but one needs to be had. We're talking about internet crimes against children online predators, what to look out for. All these things will be coming up in our conversation with Joe Dugan on the Law Enforcement Today show. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Believe it or not, there was a time when people would try to tape record new songs from the speaker of their AM FM radio. Now there's the Music Radio Today Facebook page. You can get access to new songs that are posted twice a day on the Music Radio Today Facebook page. Plus, they feature music radio stations from all formats across the United States and the world. Do a search on Facebook for Music Radio Today. That's the Music Radio Today Facebook page. Be sure to click like and follow and tell a friend about the Music Radio Today Facebook page. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Return conversation with Joe Dugan on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Now talking about internet crimes against children. In particular, we're talking about, used to be was chat rooms back in the day. And then we have Messenger, we have gaming, people playing these uh, games online in big groups. And you say that these 
predators, and most of them are sexual predators, are all online, and they're all looking for their prey online, which are your children. Yes, I mean, they're, not every predator online is necessarily looking to have a physical relationship with the child, not initially anyway. I mean, they are, they may just originally or initially want your child to send them images, you know, and obviously going to be nude images and things like that. Um, and they will start the slow process of grooming and time is on their side. You know, just simple questions like what's your favorite music? What do you like to do? Then, hey, you know, they might tell them some dirty jokes just to sexualize them. And a lot of the guys right off the bat start sending your child you know, nude images of themselves or videos of themselves just to desensitize your child. And it will carry on until, you know, they eventually want to get your child to send them pictures and possibly even meet. As a father uh, and a retired police, I, I find this very, very difficult to deal with. I was having a conversation with my wife yesterday, as a matter of fact. We were talking about some guy creating some trouble for my elderly mother. And what I said to her was, I'm a retired police. I don't have the rules and regulations I had on the job. And there are certain things, I've never been arrested, but there are certain things I'd be willing to take a charge for. And if you came after my children and started sending them naked pictures or trying to solicit pictures of them, look, you would have, if I could find you, you'd be calling the police and have me hold off the jail. And I'd be okay with that. Well, it, it, of children who were interviewed, I'm trying to, I can't remember exactly uh, which study it was. But they did a study, and one in five kids said that they were approached online by a predator. So, I mean, you know, one in five of our kids will be approached, you know, by a predator online. That's a huge number. That's a huge number. And only about 30% of those kids even report it to, you know, a trusted adult. And what age are we talking about, Joe? What age range? Well, the age range is online anywhere from 10 to 17. The biggest age range, the biggest target for sexual predators, I think, is 12 to 17, or 12 to 15, I'm sorry. And here we go back to when I was that age. I, I thought I knew a lot at 15. Trust me, I didn't. Knew, I knew nothing. If, if someone came at me that way, let's just say in, in uh, Facebook Messenger, I'd immediately go, go blank yourself, spammer or whatever, yeah. and, and get rid of them. Because that's how yeah. I, I think. But as a 15-year-old, I don't. I don't know that I'd have the the mental preparation or experience to be equipped with that for that. But just think what we have given our children when we've given them a cell phone. We've given them a window to the world. By age 11, the average child has seen pornography online. When you just talk about a group of boys from like 12 to 15, 95% of them have seen pornography online. Again, boys naturally more curious than the girls are. I, I remember so, I know, was again, that way. <laughs> they are learning this stuff at a younger age than you and I did. You and I had to sneak into dad's bedroom and, you know, find his magazine. Yeah. We give them the world. It seemed to be a lot tamer back then, too. What we were exposed to, what we had to search out and find was a lot less graphic than what is out there today. Yeah. that And, you know, the sexual predators, they had a harder time getting their imagery. Again, the, the result of the imagery is... They collect the imagery because their ultimate goal is to have sex with the child. I mean, that's just it. That's the reason, you know, anybody looks at whatever their choice of pornography may be is because that's their ultimate goal. So you collect 
imagery of 12-year-old girls, that's because your ultimate fantasy is to have sex with a 12-year-old girl. So that's what makes these images that our children are creating so dangerous. How do we protect our children online? I mean, short of treating them like they're Amish kids, what do we do? Because we want them to have access to the internet. We want them to be able to get the full experience and learn the things they need to learn, but be protected. What do we look out for? Well, overwhelmingly, the internet is a safe place for your children. It's just that small little corner, and all we need to do is educate them. We need to educate ourselves so we can educate our children. We need to know that there is a danger out there. I mean, just because there were predators who would find kids at the playground when I was a kid didn't stop my mother from telling me, hey, go ahead and play on the playground. She just, you know, told me how to keep myself safer. That's what we need to do to our children now. That's actually my whole job now is just teaching the parents, teaching the children how to keep themselves safe online. What do you suggest that parents do? I mean, obviously, I never really thought about educate yourself first and find out what the warning signs are. Well, the biggest thing is, if I tell all the parents, be involved with your children. You know, if you're a part of your child's life, they know when something makes them uncomfortable online, they're going to come to you. Right? Hey, this guy is asking me for things I don't know that I don't want to send him or I shouldn't send him. Right? What do I do? They're going to come to you for the advice. And you need to be that parent. You know, you've just given your you know, 11-year-old daughter her first iPhone, and within two weeks, some guy sent her a picture. She comes to you and says, Dad, somebody sent me this picture, and I don't know what to do. You have to understand she is the victim. Yeah. You, know, you don't punish her by taking her phone away because she won't come to you the next time she has a problem. That was one of the things that was taught to me early on in police work, especially with children, that when they told you about things that involved a sexual assault, not to think of it in adult terms because they don't think that way. They, they do not. Their think minds that way. don't work that way. I, at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve years old, I didn't think that way. So for me to have a mindset of a thirty-year-old or forty-year-old when trying to investigate these, that's going to be counterproductive. Exactly. When I was at the CAC, you know, we would learn forensic interviewing is how to talk to a child. And a child does see things in a different way than an adult sees them. Um, you know, to a 10-year-old child even, a, a nude picture of them may not be that big of a deal. They haven't been sexualized yet. So it's easy, potentially, to get them to send that image. When a, uh, a 10-year-old tells me that they got raped and so-and-so did this and that, and I, I should not disbelieve them right away. Uh, well, you should not, because, you know, there's certain things. Again, we start talking about the five sentences. If a child can describe that incident, that rape, we'll say, with the five sentence senses, you need to start believing them, because a 10-year-old child will not, you know, even if they've watched some graphic images or graphic movies online, it's still not hitting all of the senses. So when they start talking to you in that way that it's touching all the senses, you need to really start believing them. Before we run out of time here, where can people get more information, what they should look out for, be prepared for, and the warning signs? Is there someplace online? Um, there are a lot of different places. Uh, you know, Obviously, I'm going to you know, pitch my own uh, Facebook page right now for the Maryland uh, Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. I post stuff on there all the time on how to keep your children safe online. There are other websites. I like to promote protectyoungeyes.com. It's a faith-based organization out of Michigan. 
They do a lot of research on apps, what app is safe for your child, what app is not safe for your child. They do a lot of research on parental apps. They just just a great group of people. Joe, thanks so very much for being a guest on the show, and I appreciate everything you're doing. All right. Thank you, Jay. If you want to be a guest on a Law Enforcement Today show, just go to our website and contact me through there. Our website is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. We'll be right back.